Well, as most of you know by now, we're in the middle of a sermon series that's devoted to the topic of identity. This series is a call for each of us to discover or maybe rediscover our true identity. And our true identity isn't tied to our vocation. We aren't our jobs. And our true identity isn't tied to our possessions. We aren't what we own. Our true identity isn't found in our education. We aren't our degrees. And our true identity isn't found in our past. We aren't our mistakes. No, our true identity, the identity we were made for, the identity we've been called to, that's only found in Jesus Christ. We are who we are because of who Jesus is. We are who we are because of what Jesus has done. It's all about Jesus. And I think all of us know from experience that we are all too easily pulled away from our true identity in Christ. That's why we need to be reminded of who we really are. Why we need to be reminded of whose we are. What's true for us individually is also true for all of us collectively. As a church, we need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. If we are, if we are who we have been called to be, we'll be distinctive, we'll be different. If who we are and what we do isn't rooted in Jesus Christ, if it isn't all about Jesus, then we as a church have lost our way. We've lost our identity. So when we do things like encourage you to spend a weekend up at camp with your brothers and sisters in Christ, when we encourage you to come to the ladies' retreat, it's because we know what happens at those kind of events. We know that our spirits are renewed. They're refreshed. We know that the bonds with our fellow Christians are strengthened. We know that our unity is strengthened. We know that at those events that Jesus' voice is heard. We know that at those kind of events, the cares of this world are put into their proper perspective. We go to camp and we go to retreats because it's all about Jesus. And when you hear me kind of gently pushing you to make daily Bible reading a disciplined part of your daily routine, it isn't because I enjoy being a nag. I really don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy being a nag, but I want to encourage you to do that because, well, because it's all about Jesus. See, we know that people who regularly read their Bibles find Jesus there. It's all about Jesus. But I do want to give you an update. So far as a church, we have read 1,436 books of the Bible year to date. So you're doing that. You're finding Jesus there. And when we encourage you to share your prayer requests, and when we encourage you to make sure that every day you open up your emails and you read those requests and you pray for others, it's because we believe that prayer is powerful. Because we know that prayer is effective. We believe that prayer is powerful and effective, not because we are powerful, 
No, because we know that Jesus is with God and he's hearing our prayers and he's interceding for us there. It's all about Jesus. So I do want to encourage you to take one of these green cards and if you have a prayer request, fill out your request, drop it in one of the collection boxes to let us know so we can be praying for you. You can find two boxes at the very back and a third one through these double doors. And so when I encourage everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, when I encourage everyone who believes in Jesus to enter into the waters of baptism, to be baptized, it isn't because of anything that I do in the water. It isn't because of anything that we do in the water. No, it's because you'll find and meet Jesus there. It's because you'll receive Jesus' spirit there. It's because Jesus will wash away your sins there. Because Jesus will give you a brand new identity there. It's all about Jesus. And if that describes you, you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, you shouldn't wait. You should let us know that that's something that you need to do, something that we need to talk about. That's another reason why we have these green cards in front of you. You can give us your information. You can check the box that you want to talk to someone about being baptized and we will call you right away and we'll start that conversation because we want you to meet Jesus there. And when we encourage you to identify with, to join with us here at Netherwood Park as your church family, the reason that we do that is because we know that we aren't all that uh, great, all that powerful. We aren't doing amazing things here on our own. But we know that when we join together as a church family with Jesus as the head, we know that he will do amazing things here. We encourage you to do that because Jesus is at work here. So if you've been attending here for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you'd like to be identified with us, that you'd like to be a part of this church family, we really encourage you to do that and do that today. Use that same green card. Check the appropriate box. Drop it in the, in the collection boxes and we'll contact you right away to talk about what you can do here, how we can help you and how you can help us as we worship and serve and work together. It's all about Jesus. And may we never forget that it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning everything we say, that everything that we do, everything we say and do is all about Jesus. Father, may it point to him and may it honor him and may your name be glorified. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. So we're ready for identity truth number six. And the truth is, in Christ, you are God's friend. In Christ, you are God's friend. And I have to let you know, as I was preparing for this series, I was initially resistant to including this particular topic. And I think maybe my hesitation was all about familiarity. I think my concerns were rooted in familiarity. It seems kind of presumptuous to claim God as my friend. 
that maybe that wasn't appropriate. I mean, after all, he's all-powerful. And I know I'm all too weak. After all, he's all-knowing, and I'm all too ignorant. Sure, the idea that maybe Abraham or Moses or other great pillars of the faith could be considered God's friend, that seems plausible. But how could I, with all my faults, with all of my doubts, with all of my fears, how could I possibly talk about finding my identity in being God's friend? How could I? And then I was reading through and studying in Romans, and Paul's church to the letter in Rome. And that's a letter that's written to all too weak and all too ignorant. It's a letter that's written to people who are just too full of faults and doubts and fears as, as they're Christians, as they're trying to walk with Jesus. In other words, it's a letter that's written to people who are just like me. And that's when it all began to make sense. How could I claim God as my friend? Well, it's not because of who I am. No, it's because of who I am in Christ. It's because of who Jesus has made me to be. It's because of who God has declared me to be. And in Christ, he has declared that we are his friends. Amazingly enough, once more, it's all about Jesus. I want you to hear the words this morning that convinced me that in Christ I am indeed God's friend. The words that convinced me that in Christ you are indeed God's friend. Listen, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I'll be in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So by faith in Christ, what do we have? Well, we've been made right in God's sight, and we now have peace with God. And why are we able to claim to have peace with God? Why are we no longer God's enemies, but now are his friends? Well, because of what Jesus has done for us. Verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. By faith... We've been brought where? We've been brought into a place of undeserved privilege. That's where we now stand. Jesus has brought us to a place where we confidently and joyfully look forward to doing what? We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We are his friend. You see, because of Jesus, we now have peace with God. We're right with God. We're in this place of undeserved privilege with God. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing our God's glory. How is that even possible? 
How is it possible that all too weak, all too ignorant, how is it possible that full of doubts and fears and faults, how is it possible that Christians like us could find ourselves standing in that position, standing as friends of God? Well, here's how, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ came at just the right time. Not when we were attractive candidates to be friends. When we were helpless and powerless. When we were still sinners. When our rebellion and disobedience made us God's enemies. That's when he came. That's when he proved how much he loves us. That's when he sent his son to die for us, to die for his enemies. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now... So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died for us in order to reconcile us to our God. Because of Jesus, our friendship with God has been restored. We're no longer his enemies. No, we're his friends. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what Jesus did. Which makes it particularly ironic. Particularly ironic to hear how Jesus was received by the very people, by the Jewish religious leaders, by the very people who thought that they deserved to be God's friends. And those religious leaders criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. They condemned Jesus for associating with sinners. They doubted Jesus because he allowed himself to be anointed by a sinner. See, the great irony is that when the religious leaders called Jesus a friend of sinners, you are a friend of sinners, they did that intending to embarrass him. They did that intending to slander him. But instead, those words were music to Jesus' ears. See, they were confirming his identity. He was a friend of sinners. He is a friend of sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. See, the religious leaders had a problem. Their problem was they believed that a label accurately described and revealed a person's identity. They believed that people were defined by their past. You aren't someone who sinned. You are a sinner. That's who you are at your very core. 
You aren't someone who has lied. You are a liar. You aren't someone who has cheated. You are a cheater. That's how they viewed people. That's how they identified people. But Jesus did something different. Jesus looked beyond those labels. And Jesus saw and Jesus continues to see who people can be, who people could be, if they'd only become his friend. See, God didn't choose like the religious leaders chose. Thank God he doesn't choose like the religious leaders chose. Thank God he doesn't choose like we choose. How many of you can remember being in a situation where teams were being chosen up? Maybe on a playground or in the gym somewhere. For some of us, those are really painful memories, right? Some of us, those were kind of good times maybe. So how does it work? Well, there are two captains, right? And everybody else lines up. And the captains alternate picking people for their teams. I pick you. I pick you. I pick you. I pick you. And that goes on until everyone has been selected. Or maybe until just the teams were complete and some were left unselected. And how were those determinations made? How were those teams selected? What criteria were used? How did the captains decide who they should choose? Well, I want to tell you there are really only two factors. Choices were either made based on relationships or on skill level. You either picked your friends or you picked those who could help you win. So if you were either a friend of one of the captains or you were known to be a skilled player, you could be confident that you'd be chosen and you'd be chosen early. But how about if you weren't? How about if you weren't a friend? How about if you weren't skilled? Well, what did you know? You know you were going to be waiting a while or you might not even be chosen at all. Or maybe even worse, you might be the last one chosen. That's how we choose, right? That's how we choose teams. That's how we hire employees. That's how we make invitation lists. We choose and hire and invite our friends. And we choose and hire and invite people who can make us look good, who can help us win. But that's not how Jesus chose See, Jesus didn't choose his friends. He chose those who needed to be his friend. He chose those who needed a relationship with him, needed a relationship with his father. He chose sinners. He chose his enemies. He chose his enemies who needed a new identity. He chose sinners like you and sinners like me. And the good news is he continues to choose sinners like you and me. And Jesus didn't choose those who would make him look good. You know, even when he was selecting his 12 apostles, he was selecting his inner circle, his first 12 draft picks, if you will. Instead of selecting the honors graduates from rabbinical school, he instead chose unschooled and ordinary men. He chose unschooled and ordinary people like you and like me. And the good news is he continues to choose unschooled and ordinary people like you 
and me. And one of the great things about being chosen is there's power in being chosen, isn't there? There's power in being befriended. Especially if you're ordinary. If you're unschooled, if you're unskilled, if you're like you and me. There's power in being chosen, power in being befriended. Let me illustrate with a story. It's a warm and muggy night in Hagerman, New Mexico. And the smell of the local dairies is hanging heavy in the air. You've been to Hagerman, right? And the Cloudcroft Bears are in town to play the hometown Bobcats for the district football championship. And things aren't going well for the Bears. They're holding their own on defense, but every time they have the ball, their quarterback, Jose Castagnon, is getting destroyed. One of Hegerman's linebackers is spending so much time in the Cloudcroft backfield, you'd think he was lining up there. It's easy from the sideline to see what's happening. The right tackle for the Cloudcroft Bears to protect the innocent, we're going to call him Elbert Billingham. And Elbert is doing his best matador impression. He comes out of his stance, turns to the side, and basically says, Ole. As the linebacker proceeds to hit Jose one more time. And on the Cloudcroft sideline, there's a 140-pound, 15-year-old sophomore who doesn't particularly like football. We'll call him Walter Lane. And Walter is discovering his prayer life. (laughs) He's discovering his prayer life because he's been told by the coaches that if Elbert isn't getting the job done, he's going to get his chance to try. He doesn't particularly want his chance to try. But when Coach Warren says, Walter, get in there for Billingham, I don't know whether to cry, to throw up, maybe fake a cramp. Or maybe just curl up in a fetal position. See, the last thing I want to be tasked with is trying to protect Jose. You see, Jose is everything I'm not. He's quarterback of the football team. He's the star of the basketball team. He's mature and strong and confident. He's the favorite of all the ladies. He's everything I'm not. And as I jog out toward the huddle, I can't even feel my legs. See, there's no way that this can possibly end well. There's no way. There's no way until Jose greets me with a smile, looks me in the eye and says, it's about time they sent you in. You can do this. It's about time you can do this. There's power in being chosen. There's power in being befriended. I'd love to tell you that I dominated when I went in, but I didn't. (laughs) I'd like to tell you that we came back and won decisively, but we didn't. But I held my own. We weren't embarrassed, and it was all because Jose chose me, all because he befriended me. Because he believed in me more than I believed in myself. It's known as the Pygmalion effect. Other people's expectations, other people's view of us 
It affects our behavior. It affects our performance. If other people expect us to do well, if other people expect us to succeed, oftentimes we do. And if we expect, if we're expected to fail, oftentimes we do. And when Jose expected me to succeed, I did. And if he had expected me to fail, I guarantee you I would have. So what happens when the Son of God, what happens when the Savior of the world, what happens when Jesus looks past labels and sees what is possible for those who will be his friends? What's possible for sinners? What's possible for the unschooled? What's possible for the ordinary? Well, what happens is sinners become saints. What happens is unschooled and ordinary become bold and courageous and confident. What happens is those who were once God's enemies are now able to stand in confidence with great joy as they look forward to sharing in their God's glory, in their friends' glory. And in Christ, that's who you are. Jesus has looked past your labels... He's looked past your mistakes. He's looked past who even you think you are. And he's declared you to be his friend in Christ. That's who you are. You are God's friend. You're no longer identified. You're no longer trapped by a label. No, now you're identified. You're liberated to be who God always intended for you to be. You're free to be who Jesus died to make you to be. You're free to be who God has declared you to be. You're free to be his friend. And oh, what a friend he is. What a relationship he's allowed us to have with him. And what an identity we now have in Jesus. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you do remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Love each other. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. That's who you are. In Christ, you are God's friend. And your friend is faithful. Your friend is faithful in all things to the very end because that's who he is. So that's who you are. And your friend is sacrificial in his love. 
Your friend even laid down his life for you. So you lay down your life for others. That's who he is, so that's who you are. Your friend is transparent. Amazingly enough, he's told you everything that the Father has told him. So you tell others your Father's truth. Because that's who he is and that's who you are. And your friend is completely invested in you. He's entrusted his great mission to you. He's trusted you to produce his lasting fruit. He's promising to work powerfully through you. That's who he is, so that's who you are. Brothers and sisters, you are the friend of God. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, as your friends who were once your enemies, our prayer is that you will use us to use us to help turn your enemies into your friends. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's end with identity challenge number seven. And I simply challenge you to answer three questions this week. Question number one, who do you know that needs to be befriended? Who do you know that needs to be befriended? Question number two, Who do you know that needs to be viewed as who they can be instead of identified as what they have done? Who do you know that needs to be viewed as who they can be instead of identified by what they have done? And finally, number three, answer this question. Who needs to find a friend in you and in your God? Identify those people so that you can, you can encourage them to find a new identity in Christ with God as their friend. Let's close in song. Let's stand in amazement, amazement that we can call God our friend. Let's stand and sing.